Open your Bible with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. I thought we were done with this series, changed into his likeness, and um, I even tried to study something different, and the Lord said, no, not done. You got to go back and keep adding to that. And so that's what we're going to do. Romans chapter 12 in verses 1 and 2. We have been looking at these scriptures for um, quite some time. You can find the sermons on the website and catch up to where we're at now. In verse 1 it says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy. Everyone say holy. 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 Do you know what holy is? Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship or service. Do not be conformed to this age. See, that would be the exact opposite of being a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This would be the flip side of it. It would be to be conformed and pressured and shaped to the age. You start taking on the smell of the world around you. You start taking on similarities and characteristics from the world around you. You start shaping your schedule based upon the world around you schedule. I'm stopped there, else I'll meddle. Let's go on here. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed. 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 That means you were one thing and you're changing into another thing. Be transformed. The word be means it's continuous, ongoing action. It's not a, he changed and now that's the way it is. No, it's a ever-evolving, changing, transforming process into his likeness. And here's how it happens. By the renewing of your mind. It means there's an old way of thinking and a new way of thinking. And the new way of thinking takes constant transformation. So that, the reason for it, that you may discern. Who needs discerning? This day and age that we live in, man, discernment is of, of great value, isn't it? So, the reason for all of this is so that you can discern, so that you can see clearly, so that you can hear the voice of the Lord speak to you, the Spirit of God direct you on the inside. How many know that's the primary way that He leads you is on the inside by peace or by unrest? Yeah, sometimes angels show up and talk and prophets and all these other things and you see pictures in, inside and all these things, but most time. The Spirit of God leads you by either peace or unrest. Like, I don't have peace there. I, I can't do that. Or, yeah, I feel really good about that. Now, I've said this recently, or maybe it was in our home group. Sometimes I get confused what I said here versus in our home group. But the Gospel of Luke was written on a seams. It seemed right. Something that we say, man, is the Word of God to us. It was an account in the Bible, the whole Gospel of Luke, go read verse 1 and 2, and it says, eh, I researched it and it seemed good to me, so I decided to write it too. So do not underestimate the seams on the inside. That's the primary way that God leads you. And there's many other ways too. So, if you are living as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God, and you are not pressured and shaped and taken on the action and function 
and nature of the world, but rather you have taken on the shape and nature of Christ and you think like Him, you act like Him, and in that comes a clarity to hear and to discern, Lord, what do you want? What's your will? Which way should I go? Should I go this way or this way? And the Lord will show you. Let's go over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. We have been talking about the transformation of our thinking. You know, you are not, nobody is a prisoner to any particular line of thought. I mean, if you are, you can be delivered from it, right? However, we think what we allow ourselves to think. We think what we allow, what we permit ourselves to think. So, in the last hour that we've been together, actually, let me say this first. You know, what you think builds your desires. And you desire what you've been thinking. I'm talking about stronger desire, not just a whim. You desire what you meditate on, what you think on. You know, an artist, before there's a picture that gets hung on the wall, they have a picture on the inside. They begin to think of the picture that they want to make and they picture it on the inside and they meditate and think on it until it comes out onto canvas. And in the same way, you can build your desires. You're not, you don't have to think those thoughts of darkness and depression. You can think thoughts of light and hope. You're not, and you're not a prisoner to that. You have the ability to choose what you think. And that was, I think, the last sermon that we had preached on the subject. In in the last hour, how many people here have been sitting here in the room just with a strong, intense desire to eat brisket? Anybody? No, up until now. Nobody? So, if I spend the next five minutes talking about the briskets that I like to smoke, how they smell, what the bark looks like, the explosion of, of beef taste and smoke of oak and cherry and all those flavors mixed together. And if I just spend five minutes and paint you a picture of this, I mean, before long, all of us are going to desire brisket, right? And you'll all be like, could you please invite us over? So <laughs> my point is, is some of you had brisket I made, right? Who had brisket that, that I made? Okay. Um, because of that experience they ratcheted up their desire a whole lot faster than the people that didn't eat my brisket. Because they know what it was. They know what it tasted like, right? And so what happens is when you experience something in life, especially whether it be good or bad, if you experience something, you can cover the ground from zero to a great desire much quicker than you will if you've never experienced that thing before. And what happens is addictions form. Strongholds form in that way when, when it works in the negative. And th- thankfully, brisket is not addictive. But you know, you can be addicted to eating and, and all of that as well. You can serve your stomach. So I make the analogy because for, for those of you that have never eaten any brisket that I've made, you're sitting here going, okay, so what's so great about it? I agree, right? And for those of you that had it, you went, yeah, I know what that was. 
And so instantly you're there. Well, on the flip side, whether it be um, some, some cigarette addiction or a pornography addiction or, or other thing, maybe it's a gossiping or something else stronghold in your life, if you had a weakness there before, it's much easier to go from zero to there than if you've never been there. So I say this because this is an area that you need mind renewal to guard against, to guard against ever winding up there because you know it can go fast. Right? <clears throat> so we have to get our thinking right. And if we start to toy around, if, if eating brisket was a sin, and if now because I suggested it, if eating brisket was wrong and you're sitting there still thinking about brisket and stirring up desire on the inside, see, there's where we have to now get our thinking right. And we have to be willing to say, get a hold of ourselves and change the conversation in our head. <clears throat> now, the best way that I have found to do that is, is I do several things. I take authority over the thoughts. I take them captive to the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, I take that thought captive to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every thought that's lifted up to the Lord is going to go to Him to glorify Him. Because my mind is not my own. It is His. I have the mind of Christ. And so I am a steward of it. And it is set apart for His purposes and for His service. And then the next thing I do is if I have to, I will speak out loud and I change the subject. You cannot say something. I cannot be talking about the size of those windows and how great those windows and blinds are while I'm thinking about brisket. My brain has to listen to what I'm saying. So when I talk about that window, I am, my focus is there. So if, you, if it's really a, a big deal, if it's really this thing, you're battling it, and victory has been difficult for you, open your mouth and speak. Speak the word. Speak, you know, I have been, I am the righteousness of Christ. He formed that for me, upon me. Declare the word over yourself. What you don't want to do is say, I'm not thinking about brisket. I don't think about brisket. Nope, brisket has no hold on me. I'm not thinking about brisket. And the whole time I'm over here talking about brisket. I can't get my mind off brisket because I just keep talking about brisket, right? So if I want to stop thinking about brisket, I have to start talking about something else. Man, even if it's not a spiritual thing. Man, wasn't that ball game last week great? Man, did you see how he slid into first? That was crazy. You know, and before you know it, you completely forgot about brisket. And it's even more powerful if you put the spiritual principles at work and, and talk the Word. Remember what God did for us back when we first did this and how He did that miracle? Wasn't that just like so wild? How we prayed, two days later He did this, and you just completely changed the conversation between your ears. Are you understanding me? It seems like it, it's a little like, maybe it's just because it's in the evening and people are more tired. <clears throat> All right, First Peter, did you find it? Chapter 1, let's look in verse 13. Therefore, get your minds ready for action. I like that. 
Get your minds ready for action. Get your minds, be thinking thoughts, ready for action. Be self-disciplined. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace is ability. God's ability coming to you. Doing something you can't do for yourself. God empowering, enabling, helping you. Set your hope. Hope is in the thought realm, isn't it? It's in the mind realm. Set your hope completely. Man, that means you, you're going to ab- abandon yourself to this hope. You're going to burn the ships. There's not a plan B. It's this. Completely set out on this hope. As obedient children, do not be conformed. See, here we are again. Conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. Someone say, all my conduct. Does that leave any conduct out? So all your conduct is supposed to be holy. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is a quote out of Leviticus. And in Leviticus like four times I think, He tells the children of Israel in four different occasions, be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. The Lord wants us to be holy. The Lord has made a way for you to live a holy life. Yet, much of the church world, many, 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 many believers have allowed themselves to become polluted with the world. They've allowed themselves to become mixed with the world's way of thinking, the world's way of doing things, the world's way of decision making. You know, one of the main ways the world makes decisions is price. What's the price? But that's not how you and I are supposed to make decisions. We're supposed to make decisions by the guide on the inside. Right? And so... What are we allowing ourselves to be mixed with? Maybe it's the secret thoughts that nobody else knows. That you're allowing the ungodly to be mixed with the holy. Maybe it is in, in the movies that you watch. The television you watch. Maybe it's in the books you read. Or the conversations you have. Maybe at work you're one way and I have all these off-color jokes that are not holy and we wink at it and we go oh well it doesn't matter but yet he just said be holy in all your conduct so that means everything needs to qualify as holy let's go to Romans chapter 1 there is a great danger by winking at or ignoring the areas of unholiness in your life. Remember last week we talked about small compromise leads to big, bigger compromise. And bigger compromise. And bigger compromise until finally you're like, man, how did I get here? I once heard a guy say, you know, he said, you could not, wild horses could not drag me away to commit adultery on my wife today. Be impossible. There's no situation today that could make me do that. He said, but today I could make a decision 
that would ultimately end up in that down the road. So small compromise leads to big compromise. And, and, and we see that here in Romans chapter 1, we see what happens when people ignore what they know and decide to go ahead with the unholy and how it grows and overtakes them. And it becomes something completely out of control. Let's go to verse 16. We'll start there. It says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress, suppress the truth. Are there a lot, is there a lot of suppression of truth going on right now? But you know, it didn't start there. It started with an agenda somewhere back, something different. Until now, it's just blatant in your face. I mean, I think, I think we live in such extraordinary times because... I mean, this is like in Revelations, I believe. No, I mean, I'm not talking about the mark of the beast is on anyone's forehead right now. But what I am talking about, the things that are happening in the world, it's a trial run. It's ramping up for that. It's gearing up for those things. And so we live in a time that has been prophesied and talked about. And we have, when, when darkness increases, we know that God isn't sitting by on the sideline. And that light only becomes brighter the darker it gets. It becomes more obvious, more visible. And we live in a time where light and dark is so distinctly different, it's really easy to identify and not be mixed with it. So we really have no excuse to be mixed with it. Verse 19, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them, from the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what He has made. As a result, they, the people, are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking... They're thinking. Every stronghold begins here. Nobody just one day wakes up, bloop, got a demon. Well, how'd that happen? Well, I don't know. It just showed up out of nowhere. That doesn't happen. It comes from a seed that grows and grows and then overtakes them. You know, there was, the, when we first started our church, the guy that came and laid hands on me and um, filled at us, we received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, came and told us about it. Well, fast forward through some months and we had decided we are going to start a church and our very first Sunday, we take off, we go to church and it's just like a bad morning because I get stopped in a construction zone for speeding on the way to church. Now... The context or the, the, the history to this point is we are in the middle of a complete financial collapse from every corner. We are in the middle of losing everything. We don't have money for groceries. Every bill is read or passed. And now I got this fine for speeding. And it's a double fine because 
he was in a construction zone. We get to church and the, all the families that were going to come join us and be a part of it, it was eight of us, I believe, eight families. Only two, well, with my wife and I, our family, three families showed up that morning. This is the first kickoff morning of the church. Three families show up, and the uh, two families that showed up, aside from my wife and I, showed up to tell us, no, we're not going to be a part of this after all. Another family slept in, and another family, the guy that had laid hands on us and led us into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, woke up that morning with a demon and decided God doesn't exist. And we're not going to be a part of it. And I'm like, what? How, how, do you, how do you go from filled with the Spirit of God, on fire, and you're like, now I'm not even sure if God is real. Like, what is going on? So I go over and I camp on his doorstep for like a week. Man, I mean, I'm praying over him. I'm praying over him. And I'm there. I'm speaking to him. I'm speaking to him. And I can see in his eyes, man, this is demonic the whole way. And like, what? how do you... You don't just... I was telling him, you don't just wake up one day and this jumps on you. What has been going on in your head? Well, he finally said it's not the first time. It, it's, he's, he's had... He's had a series of events through his life where he would question, well, is God real? And then he would go around this big loop and then he would do it again. And he would begin to wonder because he prayed and asked for something that didn't happen, so maybe God's not real. And that's where this seed got in and took hold and he begins to think on this and, and, and think about it more, which is opening the door to that demonic oppression. And... We got him delivered, and um, he did come and be a part of the church for a while. Um, but you know, you don't just accidentally get a demon. It's here. It's here. And so we have to be smart enough to take responsibility. What are you thinking? You know, what's going on in your life? What are you thinking? Do you think that you're made in the image of God? Do you like how you look? Or do you hate how you look? Do you despise yourself when you look in the mirror? And talk bad about yourself? And right, I know people that, that have been that way. They would like pick their face. Destroy their face. Because they didn't like themselves. And whenever that person would like get into a position of hating themselves, they would go to the bathroom and destroy their face. And when they finally figured out <laughs> what was going on and someone helped them, they got completely free of that. But it all came back to what was going on in their mind. And it started coming out in outward actions. You know, when people cut, that doesn't just come out of the blue for no reason. They cut because they're thinking. And they meditate on it long enough until they go, let's see what it feels like. Oh, like that. As is with anything else. Your thoughts are the doorway. But your thoughts are also the place of victory. It's where you, you, you enter into victory. <clears throat> Alright, so they, their thinking became 
Verse 21, for though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds, senseless hearts, the King James would say, were darkened. You know, if you don't walk in the light that you have, you will lose the light that you have. If you don't exercise what you know to do, you will start to become dull and numb and less and less and less led by the Lord until you're so far out into the brambles and thickets and places that rabbits can't go. It's like, how did I get here? Well, it wasn't by just a hard left turn. It was by an angle that you took. And here he talks about their, their thinking becoming darkened. You know, Jesus said it this way to his disciples. He said, we, we, many times I have heard it quoted this way. The truth shall set you free. Right? And we go, yeah. But that's not what Jesus said. Because that as a standalone statement doesn't set anyone free. Jesus spoke the truth to the Pharisees and they were still as bound as could be. Because they chose. Jesus said to the disciples, He was speaking to His disciples, to His followers, He said, if you will do what I've been telling you, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's only as you know the truth. And it's impossible to know the truth if you're not doing it. That's just head knowledge. You don't know anything. To truly know something experientially is because you did it. Those that liked the brisket, they knew because they experienced it. Right? For the other people, they go, well, I don't know. So here... Jesus said, if you will dwell in My words, if you do them, it's only in the doing that you know it. And then the truth sets you free. That's what knowing the truth is, is by doing it. Well here, they refuse to do it. They refuse to take the corresponding action. So now their minds are becoming dulled down and darkened and they're not walking in the light that they know to do. You know, if you know to speak up, because I now told you, that if you're having a battle in your mind and your thoughts and you can't get your thoughts right, I've told you how to overcome that. So now you are accountable to actually do it, not just know about it. So if you get into that situation, open your mouth, talk. Change it. Take, take ca- those thoughts captive and then change the conversation out loud if you need to. <clears throat> it's in doing it that you know the truth and the truth will set you free and light comes. Verse 22. Claiming to be wise, sounds like many of our scientists today, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, or here's why, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served something created instead of the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is an exact description of what's going on in our society today. People worship comfort. Worship sexuality. Worship all these other created images that they have, but not the true God. Verse 26, this is why God delivered them over, gave them over to degrading passions. 
For even their females exchanged natural sexual intercourse for what is unnatural. The males in the same way also left natural sexual intercourse with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty for their perversion. Now, as you read this, don't just think homosexuals. For you and I, because that's not where we're at, let's make, bring it home just a little bit further. Let's just call it lust. Because sin is sin. I mean, there are different varieties of sin. Some sins have bigger consequences than other sins. Murder and petty theft, two different, two different things, but they're both still sin. They have two different consequences, but they're both still wrong and they both still separate from the Lord. And so let's not read this and just think, oh, horrible, wicked sins that we're not a part of. No. How about all the other sins that we have done? Verse 28, And because they did not think it worthwhile to have God in their knowledge, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. A worthless mind. A worthless mind. They are filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, disputes, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy or covenant breakers, unloving, not, not having even natural love, and unmerciful. Although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. This word applaud means to take pleasure in. They even take pleasure in it when other people are doing it. So, they didn't start that way though. You know, they didn't start that way. In Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 29, it says that God, He said, this I know. I'm paraphrasing. This I know. God created all men upright. And then they go off into their own schemes. If you can find it, you can put it up on the board. Um, Ecclesiastes 7.29, I think is what it is. Are you doing what you know to do? Yeah, here he says, only see this. I have discovered that God made people upright, but they pursued many schemes. God didn't create anyone to walk in sin. God didn't create you homosexual. God didn't create you to to lust after straight people. God didn't create you to be a thief. God didn't create you good at lying. God didn't create you to be a gossip. None of those things. God created you to... Be upright. And sometimes we go, well, maybe people just don't know. You know, Hosea 4.6 tells us that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And we often quote that and we stop right there and we go, yeah, see, knowledge is power. Knowledge is important. We need to make sure that they have knowledge. Because remember, knowledge, we're talking about thinking. What we're thinking And yes, it is very important and knowledge, the knowledge of God is what brings us unto salvation. But that verse doesn't stop there. 
My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because, here's the reason, they have rejected knowledge. They have rejected knowledge and so then He pronounces judgment on them. And so, when you reject knowledge, when you reject light, when you reject truth, what follows is more darkness. More lack of understanding. More... See here, they didn't... If you look up on the screen, they didn't... They had a lack of knowledge, but it wasn't because they had lack of opportunity for knowledge. They rejected the knowledge. They rejected it. So where, what corner of your heart, where are you going, yeah, not that part. It's okay. It's, yeah, maybe it's a gray area. Maybe it's in your exaggeration of storytelling and, and the Holy Spirit saying, you know, that's a lie. You shouldn't say that. That's not true. And you just ignore that. You know, I used to lie like crazy in, in storytelling. Like not deceiving people lying. Just like make things up, you know. Tell them something that's completely not true. It would be a joke and then we would laugh and go on. And when, when we got Spirit-filled and stepped into this, the Holy Spirit started convicting me on this. Saying, son, if you want your words to matter, you have to treat them like they matter. And I started going, okay, I, I'll, I'll, I'll scale back on that. I'll do it less. Well, that's a good start. Yay, you know. You're doing better. But that's still not completely surrendered, right? To saying, yeah, you know what, Lord? My tongue is Yours. And when I open it, I want to say the right thing. I remember I was with this minister and, and man, I thought that this guy was awesome, you know, and, and I was just new to all of this, right? I was just new to, uh, we'd only been Spirit-filled several months and I met this guy. And um, he preached some messages for us and, you know, I thought this was great. And then I took him out on top of the Black Canyon in Colorado and it's this gorgeous canyon and we looked at it. And then later in the day I heard him telling the story of us being out there on the canyon and at the edge of the canyon to somebody on the phone. And like just massive exaggerations. Massive exaggerations. Like not true. We didn't almost die. We didn't almost fall down. And he's saying these things and I'm like, whoa. If his integrity of speech isn't bigger than that, how can I trust what he's saying when he's talking about the miracles God did? How do I know it really did happen that way? It made me go, I question everything on him now, right? And so, that's just an illustration of what about you and I? Maybe it's in something else in our life. But is there a mixture in your heart, your mind? Is there a mixture in your mind of the good and the bad? A mixture of I'll wink at this. This isn't so bad. This is a gray area. A mixture of, you know, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect, you know. I mean, come on, what do you think I'm supposed to be? God? Well, like Him. Who says, be like me. 
Now, you want to know the wild part about all of this? That was the introduction. No, I'm not going to preach the whole thing. Don't worry. Let's go to 1 John. You know, we are called to be a holy people. But where have, where have we been okay with the unholy? You know, we're living in a time and season where we cannot afford to mess with the things of the world. Ananias and Sapphira, they couldn't afford to. But they thought they could. They thought and thought and thought until they were dead. And in this time and season that we're in, it's a matter of life and death. In 1 John 1, in verse 5, says, now this is the message we have heard from Him. Now, now, the Apostle John is writing to the church and he is writing this to believers. Uh, some people try to say he wasn't, but it's very obvious that he's writing to believers and in talking about even himself because he says we. He says, now this is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in Him. You know, what darkness are you allowing? What darkness are you permitting? Father, I ask You right now by Your Spirit to convict where we've allowed darkness. I ask You by Your Spirit to draw us, to pull us, to show us where we have permitted darkness in our life. Where we have allowed a mixture of the holy and the unholy. I thank you for it, for revealing it, not for the unholy. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, fellowship with the Lord, but walk in darkness, so if you, you say one thing, but you're doing another thing, if you say, oh yeah, me and God are good, but you're over here walking in the deeds of darkness, so we are lying and not practicing truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Now verse 8, He's saying this in context of back at verse 6 where a person that claims to be in fellowship but is walking in darkness. If we say we have no sin, if that be the case, that you, you, you're in darkness, and you say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. Not devil deceived. Our own thinking. Deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. You know, can a Christian fellowship with a demon? That's a trick question. Yeah. I mean, Corinthians tells us, man, hey, don't, don't do this because that food was offered to an idol, to demons, and what fellowship does the temple of the Holy Spirit have with demons? He asks the question. And so he gives them instruction not to do it because what, you won't have fellowship with the Lord for long if you do that. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if you're out walking in the dark and you're not walking with Him, or you're not on the path, you're out in the brambles in the dark trying to find your way, if that be you, 
than their sin. But, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. See, it is possible to live and not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, He paid the bill. He took the wrath. This is how we know we are in Him. The one who says He remains in Him should walk just as He walked. That's the measuring rod. The bar is super high. Just as He walked. But it makes it real obvious when we're not doing it. Makes it real obvious. So I invite you to stand with me. We're going to close. You know, I invite you, if, if there's an area in your heart that you haven't been yielded to the Lord, that, you haven't, that you've been walking in darkness, that you've been in sin, and you know it. If that be the case, you know that right now. Nobody's going to convince you of it. I'm just asking you to right now, just repent to the Lord on the inside. You know, repent to Him. Change is what that means. It means make a commitment that you're going to do different. And as you do different, as you change, man, that means you're knowing the truth and the truth is setting you free. And any bondage, any stronghold that has been forming in your life because of your continual walk in that darkness will be broken off. When you recognize it as wrong, as sin, as you repent to the Lord, as you say, and as you change and do differently. Father, I thank You that Your Word is true, that You're faithful. Jesus, thank You that You gave Your life, that You died, that You shed Your, bl your blood, that You took stripes for us, beatings for us. Thank You for doing that. Father, thank You for sending Him. Thank You for paying our, the price. Making a way where there was no way. Thank You, Father, that You did this and for, for sending us Your Spirit. And I just ask You right now for Your purifying Spirit. Your purifying Word to come in and on us in a special way. And Lord, if there be any wicked way in us that You show that to us and we just commit to absolutely turning from it and changing our mind and being transformed and walking with You. You know, if, if there's anyone here that you've, you've done that, you've made that change, that adjustment, that repentance on the inside to the Lord, because that's who you repent to. If there's anyone here that has done that and you want to hold yourself accountable and drive a stake in the ground, I invite you to just come down here to the front and to we're going to agree with you in prayer for a new, a new start in whatever it is that you're facing with.
know, the Lord is all about your freedom. And as you do what the Lord is showing to you to do, as you step into that, as you by you coming up here, you're making a public declaration that I'm changing from that old way of thinking. And I'm consecrating this area in my life, in my heart, in my mind, completely to the Lord. So let's, those of you that have come up, I just invite you to lift your hands to the Lord. That just shows you surrender, that you give up to Him. Father, I, I thank You, Lord, that You just encounter each one of these here tonight. Each one that have stepped up and made this commitment. Father, thank You that You just come on them in a mighty way right now. That Your blood cleanses them from all sin, just as You said. And that by Your Spirit, Your grace, Your empowering ability, You come on them and embrace them to change. Father, when they begin to think wrong thoughts, that You arrest them in their mind. That You arrest their thinking and prompt them in the right direction. You said that whatever we ask You, You would do, and I believe it. So Lord, I just call each one of these set apart. Each one of these set apart for Your service. Set apart. These, this area in their heart, Lord, is now sanctified and set apart to serve You. Not themselves, but to serve You. And I thank You for this, Lord. I thank You, Lord. You are worthy of our praise. Let's just worship Him. You are worthy of our praise, Lord. We worship You, Lord. You are good and kind. Thank you, Lord. We worship. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being kind. Thank you for being full of mercy. Thank you that your compassion is great. That your love endures forever. Thank you that you're just, Father. Thank you that you've made a way. Thank you for freedom over each one of these. Freedom over each one of these. I just break demonic strongholds right now that have come against you in your minds in the name of Jesus. Every stronghold in your thinking broken in the name of Jesus. And I lose peace and clarity of thought and discernment like you've not had before. Discernment for the things that you're facing. And Lord, softness of heart. Lord, give us a soft heart that we hear clearly. Give us ears to hear you to understand the impressions you give to us. I thank you for this, Father. You are good. You are worthy. You are kind. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. Well, we have a time of fellowship downstairs as always. Some finger foods. Everyone is, in, is invited. Did you have something? Everyone is invited, so uh, no one needs to until tomorrow morning. You can stay all night. Hallelujah. Welcome to Church of the Word International. <laughs> That's my little southern voice kind of trying to um, praise the Lord tonight. We're just here to worship the Lord, and we thank you, God, that, that we have a place that we can worship, and we're just going to worship the Lord and just uh, go after him in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Woo! Father, we exalt you, and we just declare your kingship over our lives. Now, Father, you are good in every way, and we do exalt you. We lift you up. Father, you are faithful. 
Who is like you? Who is faithful like you, Father? You have always kept your word. You have never let one of your promises slip. And Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that we get to call you Daddy. That you have made us children. Father, that you have put your divine nature within us. We owe you everything, Lord. Everything. Father, I ask that by your Spirit, you encounter each one of us, that you minister to us as, as is your will, according to your will, according to your plan, according to the purposes that glorify you. Father, we give you full permission tonight to do what you will, to have your way here in this place tonight. Lord, we yield to you, to your Spirit, to all that you would accomplish. We say, here am I, Lord, send me. Someone say that to him. Here am I, Lord, use me. You know, when we ask things of the Lord, we should expect that he's going to do it. You know, the Lord said, when you pray. Can we turn that down a little bit? I feel like I have to shout. The Lord said, when when you pray. He didn't say if you pray, but when you pray. So it puts a responsibility on you and me to be a people of prayer, to be a person of prayer, to, to make intercession, to make requests, to make conversation with the Lord. That's what prayer is. Something that is just a part of your daily walk, your daily habit. So let's take a minute right now and let's just pray together. Let's pray that the Lord would have free reign tonight to do all that He wants to do in the, for the person beside you on both sides, for the people in front of you, for yourself. So let's just pray. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in English. Pray with your understanding. Father, we thank You, Lord, that You see all things. You know all things. Father, that You know the intricate parts of each one of our lives and what we need. Father, I thank you that you, by your Spirit, you bring knowledge and understanding to us, that you give us wisdom, that you reveal things, and you open up Scripture to us tonight, that you teach us, Lord. Father, I ask that you encounter every person sitting here, every man, woman, and child, everyone, even the little ones inside the womb, Father, that you absolutely encounter them with your Spirit, with your truth, with your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you are good in every way, that you are watching over your Word to perform it. And so, Father, I ask right now for a special impartation of wisdom to every person. Wisdom to every person who is needing wisdom for a decision they're facing. Wisdom to know things that they could not know without your help, Father. I thank you for this. I thank you for showing the way they should go. I thank you for revealing to them the step they should take, the step they should not take. I thank you, Lord, for showing them the place they should stand and the place they should not take a stand. Father, I lift up the relationships in this house tonight, the marriages in this house tonight. And Lord, I ask you to encounter the marriages, that every husband, every wife represented here, that in their home, Lord, your peace would prevail, that your peace would be upon their marriage. And Lord, that you would stir in their heart, that they understand that Christ in the... Christ. 
in His body, the church, are an example of that marriage. Father, I ask for You to bring that awareness to us as couples. I ask for You to absolutely bind every couple together with cords that cannot be broken. That You unite them in unity, Father. In unity of purpose. In unity of destiny. That give them a single mind to walk out the things that You have put before them. I thank You for this. Father, I thank You for divine wisdom and understanding to everyone with a child here. Every person that is raising up children, that You give them understanding, that You you help them and give them the wisdom to raise these children up to be arrows that will go straight to the mark. Arrows that will be useful in Your kingdom, Lord. We just present all these children unto You, Father. And we declare that Jesus is Lord over Church of the Word International children. And I thank you, Lord, and amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to be with you all, even though it's a different time of day. We can still receive from the Lord no matter what time it is, right? Well, we'd like to welcome uh, you if you're here for the very first time. Do we have any guests with us that this is your first time here? First time here, if you could raise your hand, we'd give you a welcome. All right. Oh, we have one right here. Well, welcome to CWI. Trust that you will be ministered to. And over here, too. Welcome. We uh, trust you're not here by accident and that the Lord has something to minister to you this evening. All right. If you need a cash envelope for your giving, raise your hand. Uh, the ushers will see that you get one. If you're giving by credit card, do fill out all the blanks. And we're going to read from Jeremiah this evening. Jeremiah chapter 17. It says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. So we're not to trust in man. We're not to trust in our abilities, our smarts, and our um, understanding says, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Now, verse 7 and 8, this is us. Amen. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, does not fear when heat comes. See, he's plugged into the source. Plugged into the provision, the roots are going down deep. Doesn't fear when the pressure comes, for its leaves, well, when the heat comes, <laughs> pressure though, <laughs> um, for its leaves remain green, is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I found it interesting, one of the Andrews boys had, <laughs> had a word in, um, in our prayer time, brought this, or this picture to his dad of this green leaf. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. He says, God wants us to be growers. I think he said something like that. I'm like, well, that's interesting. That goes with what I had in my heart, just to encourage you to put your trust in the Lord. And uh, not in man, not in uh, your bank account, not in your job. See, how we handle uh, our money really can reveal what we're worshiping, what we're trusting in, you know, what we say yes to, what we say no to, what we decide, you know, I'm going to go here or go there, or the th way we go about life. Really, money will reveal what we're leaning on or how we handle our money. What, we're, what, what are we leaning on? 
What's your motivator in what, you, in what you do in life? So as we return our tithes to the Lord, I just want to have you release faith that, you're, that your trust is in him, you're provided for, and when you're trusting in the Lord, you're flourishing. You are plugged into the source, and we have no need to fear. There's no need to lose your peace when, when the surrounding things that you're, that you're surrounded on are maybe in turmoil. It's not a reason to fear when you're plugged in to everlasting life. Amen? All right, well, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you that we're not left alone here, that we're not orphans, that we can rely completely on you, and that we can rely on you to be our source for everything, that you desire to bless us, that you desire to provide for us. And we look to you, Lord, for everything in life and just say thank you, and we just give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. And amen. And the ushers will pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. All right, a couple things I wanted to mention in the bulletin. Um, normally, we have gather everybody up front for city gate and pray over them before they go out. But since we're not here meeting on a Sunday morning, I just wanted to mention that those of you that signed up to go to Columbia, you can just go straight to the location, be there at 11. Um, the address, I have that address. Um, if you need that, talk to me. And I, but I believe Karen said she did contact all those that had signed up. So you should have the information if you need it. Um, you can ask me. But be there at 11. If you uh, would like to sign up for LTS, I believe that is starting on the 12th. So there's still time to get in on lifelong learning how to be a lifelong learner. Uh, growing in your walk with the Lord, you still have time to uh, participate in that. But that's starting on the 12th here. All right, let's prepare our hearts to receive what the Lord has for us this evening. It's good to be alive, isn't it? Jesus explained, described, Jesus described eternal life this way, to have a relationship with the Father, to know Him. In, in John 17, as He was praying, and um, He said, eternal life is to know the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So to know Him. To know Him. So tonight, that's what we're about, is to know Him. Not know about Him. To know Him. In greater ways. In more intimate ways. Amen? <clears throat> so we're going to do several things before we get into the, uh, the message. And I want to talk a little bit about Armada Commission again. I talked about it last week. And I want to um, just let you know, the start date we had on the brochure that we sent out to some people was the 22nd. We moved that to the 29th, and um, we have currently two students, and we are looking to add to that if we're going to go forward. So currently, the way it sits, if we only have two students, when the 29th rolls around, then we're not going to proceed with it. So if you know of someone or if you're sitting on the fence, um, here's what I would say to you. Don't go to whatever you do, whether it be LTS, whether it be um, the, the Armada Commission Bible School, any of those things are great things to do. However... I wouldn't say just to do them because they're a good thing to do. 
If you personally do either one of those, you ought to do it because this is what the Lord is putting in your heart to do. This is what the Lord is directing you to do. And because it's, as you get into it, one, LTS is long. It's several years long, right? And um, it creates habits. And habits happen by repetition, okay? And so that's what happens with LTS. With commission, it's, it's all jam-packed into like 10 months, one, one school season. And so it, it's a great requirement. And when you get into something like that and the going gets hard, you don't want to have done it because, well, pastor thought I should or, or this person thought it was a good idea. You want to have done it because this is what the Lord told me to do. And that will carry you through all the way through it. So, letting you know about the commission, I, I will say this. You know, a lot of times we don't hear the Lord say things to us because we don't ask Him. We don't present it to Him because we're not even open to it. We're not even open to it. So here's what I would say to you. If you feel called to the ministry in any capacity, I'm talking ministry as in uh, the fivefold ministry, ministry as in the marketplace ministry, ministry as in the mission field. If you feel called in any of those, in any of those ways, I would ask you to put it before the Lord, should I or should I not? Allow Him to make that decision for you. And then, uh, and then we'll go forward from there. And that is going to be the best sales pitch for anything. The Lord told me to do it. Alright? So, hallelujah. A great report last week. Those of you that were with us or watched on our live stream, you saw that we had um, sent a prayer cloth. And if you don't understand what a prayer cloth is, you might think that we're Catholic or, I don't know, something weird and hokey. Um, but in, in Acts, Paul, it said that some people that uh, they took handkerchiefs and things that had touched him and they took them out and people were healed. And it simply is talking about the anointing of the Lord that was transferred into the garment and went with them to the place where they were going. And uh, when that garment was put on them, that was a point of contact for that person. And when their faith and that anointing came together, that person was healed. That was in, in the book of Acts. So last week, we had someone in the hospital, and because of all the COVID rules, we couldn't go in and lay hands on her and pray like, like Jesus um, t tells us to do, right? So we decided, well, we'll pray, we'll anoint this cloth, and we'll pray together, and we'll agree and release the prayer of faith, and send the cloth in there, and that'll be a point of contact for her to be healed. The good news is, what was it, the next day or maybe two days later, she came home from the hospital. So she's doing very well, and um, the Lord is truly faithful, truly faithful. When Adrian was little, a toddler, well, from baby to toddler, he had horrible ear problems, and um, he would have this thick green, looked exactly like snot, running out of both ears. I mean, like, it was, it was vile. Yeah. And uh, we would clean it out constantly with Q-tips, and it would just, they went and put tubes in his ears, because he had all these earaches and things, and the, the tube between his, somewhere on the inside, wasn't the right length, it wasn't formed right or something. And, um, man, we prayed over him, we prayed over him, we prayed over him, and, and it got better, but it didn't go away. And then... Um, we finally had a victory. 
we, we had a bunch of us gathered around and we agreed in prayer. And it stopped for maybe a month and a half. And um, it was the weekend that Pastor Dale and John Fike and Ed Garner, they all came out to Colorado for our very first meetings. Okay, we hadn't even started the church yet out there. And that weekend, as we were sitting in the services, his ears start doing this again. You know, the enemy likes to test where you're at, right? And uh, I remember I took, when I discovered it, it was after the service, so the prayer lines were already over, and, um, but there was a food line. <laughs> and so I grabbed him, and that's when I discovered it, and I went back there and I said uh, to Dale, I said, hey, would you, I want to agree with you in prayer that this stops. This is, had been stopped. Obviously, he's like, wow, that looks bad. Like <laughs> it did. And uh, so he, he did. He laid hands on him. I laid hands on him. We prayed, and it dried up and never came back again. And I say that because the word works, right? And you want to just tell us real quick why you had requested this? Um, <clears throat> I'm not exactly sure of the timeline, but in the course of them. The first year, their eye ducts, their tear ducts are supposed to form and develop. Um, and that's when they stop getting the goopies in their eyes and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, but it didn't stop uh, for him. I mean, he it's gotten better over the past couple of days. Um, but to the point where his eyes, he'll wake up and he can't open his eyes because they're just crusted shut. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I just... I'm over it. I'm done. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want him to deal with this. And and so I just want him to be healed. Yeah. And so you guys had reached out and said, "Hey, could we have him anointed and pray yep. over him?" Yep. We and, reached out. Um, so yes. And you know, the word tells us that if there's any sick, that we should call for the elders. They'll pray over him, anoint him, and the Lord will heal him. Yeah. Um, he also said, Jesus said, "Lay hands on the sick; they will recover." Yeah. Something else Jesus said. What am I doing right now? I'm just allowing faith to rise up at His Word. Another thing Jesus said is where two or three are gathered together, that anything they ask as touching anything, I mean, that's like the biggest blank check ever. As anything they ask, it shall be done for them. That's in Matthew 18. So these things are why we... Mark, Mark 11 tells us that whatsoever we pray and believe that we have received, we shall have it. So these things are why we can be confident in the promises, the faithfulness of God, and just do what He said. We're not the miracle workers. He is. But He's the one who does all the fixing and healing and, and making perfect tear ducts. Yeah. Right? We just anoint you with oil. And Father, we thank you that your healing power works right now. Is it Azariah? On Azariah. <laughs> That's right. Tear ducts, you be formed perfectly and whole in Jesus' name. Eyes be free and clear of all of this and be formed correctly just like you desire it to be in Jesus' name. And I thank you for it. So, completely working, functioning tear ducts. That's what, that's what we agree on. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Doesn't olive oil have a great smell? I'm going to be thinking about Italian food the rest of the night.
As you know, we have these cards on the table in the back, and um, this is what they say on the inside, biblical answers to your everyday life questions. For the benefit of everyone, we invite you to ask a question or give a praise report. <clears throat> and so, it's pretty self-explanatory, there's some more directions there that you can look at. Um, but we have several questions in, uh, one I think maybe I'm going to keep for next week, but we'll cover two of them right now. The first one that we're going to look at is from Frank. Where's Frank? Okay. Hi, Frank. So Frank asked the question. He said, within Scripture, and this is a great question because um, it, it really does need an answer because we don't talk this way today. Um, within Scripture, <clears throat> what does the word heart mean? Clearly not our blood-pumping organ, our body, the physical pumping heart, and not our spirit, because we are body, soul, and spirit. Is heart a combination of body, soul, and spirit? What does the word heart mean? Alright, so um, one of the things that I've said before several times is that even if you, maybe you already have the answer to your question, but it's great to put it out there publicly so that other people can, they might have that question too. It's amazing how many times multiple people have the same question, and if one person's bold enough to ask it, they all get it answered, right? And so that's why we like to do this publicly. <clears throat> now, there is a spot on there that you can check if you want to stay anonymous. Um, so, in this case, heart. So, heart in the Old Testament shows up, uh, if you're looking in the King James, 770 plus times is you'll find the word heart in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it shows up 105 times, if I remember correctly. And like two or three of those times, it means the physical heart pumping part of your body. Um, all the other times except for one, and I'll talk about that one in a minute, it simply means your, your mind and your feelings and your thoughts. So you could really replace it with those three things every time you come across and read the word heart. In Ephesians 6.6, 6, that is the exception. And in that particular one, it, they, used, they translated it heart. Um, you could really say from within. Let's actually go there and look at that because... It'll help you to understand. In Ephesians 6, in verse 6, it says, Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. So do God's will from your heart. Do God's will from really... Uh, um, maybe you could... A better translation would be, do God's will from within. I mean, where does Christ live? It lives within. So it's as He has put that in you, do it from that spring of life on the inside, from the spirit of life on the inside, that's the source, and do it from that position. And this word here, the word heart, is the one exception where really the literal translation of it is soul or spirit. It's, it's kind of interchangeable. So generally in the New Testament and in the Old, when you read the word heart, it is talking about your mind, and your feelings. Now we know that we're a three-part being, right? So we have a flesh, this physical flesh body. 
My brain is part of that flesh body. My heart is part of that flesh body. And then I have a spirit. My spirit being. It's in the shape of my body. And this physical flesh is what houses that spirit being. And when we get to heaven, we're going to recognize each other. We're going to remember each other. I mean, we have cases in, in the Word where they have conversations and they remember things that happened on the earth. Right? And so you're not going to lose your mind when you're in heaven. You'll, you'll still have your mind. You'll still have your memories. And so you have your, your flesh. You have your spirit being. And then you have your soul. Because we're a three-part being. Spirit, soul, and body. Most times, just pay attention when you hear that phrase. Most people will say body, soul, and spirit. It's not how it's said in the Word. It's said spirit, soul, body. Spirit comes first. Because we are first and foremost spirit beings. When your flesh dies, you do not cease to exist. You either go up or you go down, but you don't hang around. Right? You're not going to hang around, be a ghost, and haunt anyone. You know, none of that stuff. Because you, your spirit person is going to go up or down. And so you are first and foremost a spirit being. And you have an eternal soul. What is the soul? Well, it's your, your mind, your will, your emotions, all of that that make up your personality. That's your soul realm. And you have an eternal soul. You're a spirit being. You have an eternal soul. And you live in this physical tent. This body right here. It's very temporary. It's... Got, it's prone to break down. It's prone to problems. It's, it's all these things, right? And when you get your new body, well, that one's going to be awesome. It's going to do things that this, this old one couldn't do. You know, when Jesus got His new body, He could go through locked doors and walls, but He'd still eat things and enjoy that too. So He had a physical body, but it wasn't limited like you and I's physical body is. It took on characteristics of His spirit. Souped up body. So uh, when you read that in the Word, that was all extra onto the question there. Uh, when you read in the Word, the word heart, know that um, He is talking about your mind, your thoughts, your feelings. The second question is a question that many have asked and many have struggled with. And basically, I'm going to boil it down, the question down to this. Why did God create people who He knew wouldn't choose Him and be sent to hell? So why would God, in His foreknowledge, create someone that He knows is not going to choose Him and is going to wind up in hell? And the implication when people usually ask the question, they begin to question the goodness of God. And if God is really good, then why does evil exist? And it just goes down that road. So I'm going to say several things to that. As, as Ravi Zacharias so eloquently put it when he was still living, when someone asked him the question about why does God allow suffering, and why does God allow evil? And he said this. He said, in Christianity, God values relationship above all else. Right? He, he values relationship. So, we know that's, that God made mankind to have relationship with Him. He would come in the cool of the day and walk in the garden and, and have communion with Adam and with Eve. So, God values above all else relationship. 
In fact, I, I said this earlier that Jesus said eternal life is to know Him. That's relationship. To know Him. For that relationship to be meaningful, it must be freely chosen. To be freely chosen, in order for a relationship to be freely chosen, there must be a possibility of rejecting that relationship, right? In order for it to be freely chosen, then also the opportunity is there to reject it. Think about a marriage. If you have an arranged marriage, and let's say, let's say my bride would be in a, was arranged, right? She has no choice, man, just in one of those, that's not how our marriage was. Or, or how our courtship and all of that was. But if that's the situation for somebody, hypothetically, arranged marriage, they have no choice in the matter because that happens worldwide often. They now must choose to love the person, choose to give themselves to the person, or they can just go through the motions in a robotic way because they have no choice. But who wants to be in a relationship like that? Where they don't love me, they're just doing it because they have to. Because they don't have a choice. Right? We don't want that. I mean, most of us here probably didn't have an arranged marriage. Most of us probably are in a marriage because they chose us. I chose her and she chose me. And in that freedom of choice comes our beautiful relationship. Because nothing is forced. So you can't give something to somebody if, you're not, if you don't have a choice in the matter. It's just taken. And so for the Lord to create mankind, for us to say, well, um, we have relationship with the Lord. And the reason we have relationship with Him is because He allowed us the freedom to choose. One of the, the things that always bothers me with this question is because it's really based in, it's in a wrong premise. It's, it's not a right question. It has false assumptions to it. And, and what I mean is this, people have the idea that God is the one that's creating all everybody. God's not creating everybody. Mankind is creating each other under the laws that God has established. Here's the laws God established back in Genesis. I know this is a new thought for some of you. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, so God says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So, God created man in His own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. And subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. And He talks about, I've given you all the seed-bearing things and all these things. So here you see God putting laws into motion. Laws into existence. The law of sowing and reaping is right there. The law of having babies is right there. Right? Without Him saying that, it wouldn't have even been possible. 
So He put the law in place. Now, it's up to you whether or not you operate that law. But worldwide, most in the church like to put that over on the Lord. So, by His laws, right, in a roundabout way, God has created everybody because of His laws. But He's not making two people get together and have a baby. That's people's choice. And when, when we think, when we look at, and we want to just put all this off on the Lord and, and say our responsibility isn't there, let's push it all the way to its, to its extreme. First of all, let's start with a common phrase that we hear. You know, we thought we were done having babies and then uh, God had another plan. Really? I don't think that was it at all. I just think you did one plus one and it made two. That's how it works. Now, did that little one take God by surprise? Absolutely not. God knew in His foreknowledge that one plus one was going to happen and two was going to come along and that He had a plan for that little one and His Spirit ready for that little one and, and all of it. right? But we like to just put that off on the Lord. Say that was the Lord's deal. Now, is there such a thing as creative miracles and, and births and things? Yeah, absolutely. Right? The, the virgin birth from, from Mary and Jesus. That was a creative pregnancy, right? There's been people, I've heard tell of people that even had their uterus and things removed and ended up getting pregnant. I mean, they prayed and asked the Lord and the Lord blessed them and they get pregnant and have a little baby. So, are there creative miracles? Are there things that God, yes, by faith, anything is possible. Okay, by faith. We're not talking about that. We're talking about just the law He put in place of reproduction. So, now let's push it all the way to its extreme. You, you take someone, some lady, some young girl that gets into a horrible situation, gets forcibly raped, she gets pregnant. If God is the one doing it, well then He is the one to blame for that pregnancy. But He's not the one that created that. Mankind is the one. They just simply, his laws work for both the good and the bad. He's not a respecter of persons. And so that shows that no, God's not the one doing it. Mankind is the one, if you take certain steps, certain results happen. Right? You do certain things, creation happens. And so, when the question is, why would God create people that ultimately will not choose Him is not a right question. He didn't create them. Other people did. They used God's laws and created them. I'll go even further with this. If, let's put it on to the parents. That would be like us asking a parent, when your baby was born, did you have an absolute 100% guarantee that baby was going to grow up, serve the Lord, and go to heaven? Nope. Then why would have you had a baby knowing that child might wind up in hell? How can you be a loving parent if you would willingly have a child that might not go to heaven? See, that just doesn't compute now. But we want to use that same measure against God. So we have to be aware when a question... Let me ask you a question. I'll ask Jill. Jill, do you enjoy murdering people? She says no, so she must hate murdering people. 
But why do you murder him? See what just happened? I asked a wrong question. If she says no, she doesn't enjoy it, she's still implying that she does it. She just doesn't enjoy it. Right? If she says yes, well, then we also have a problem. The point is, is a wrong question will lead you to wrong results. So be aware of when unbelievers or even believers ask questions that have the wrong premise. Are you understanding? Okay, good. And thank God Jill is not a murderer. 